good to see you guys here. Um, as if you guys, you guys know me. Uh, my name is Christian Wall. I'm a deacon here and an elder candidate. Um, and uh, last week, I wasn't here, so I didn't get to see you guys. I missed you. Um, I was at a work conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and I don't know if I'll go back. You know, it was cool and all, but uh, I don't know if you guys have been there. It's not that great a city. <laughs> anyway, um, but Pastor Matt, uh, if you're not aware, he's not here this morning. He is in Albany, Georgia. He's supporting our sister church, Greenbrier. Um, Pastor Tim Bice and his family had a loss in the family, so anything that we can do to support them, we want to do because they have so much support for us. So uh, that's where Matt is. Matt is in Albany. Um, so we're going to be praying for Tim Bice and his family um, and praying for Matt as he preaches to that congregation that is grieving with them. So, yeah, praying for that. So that conference that I was doing has been kind of like discombobulated. Uh, I'm not sure what day of the week it is. I know it's Sunday, but, you know, it's like it's weird. It still feels like New Year's to me. Uh, so what I'm going to be uh, talking to you guys about today is the stuff that I've been praying over as like my New Year's prayers. So starting into the new year, I wanted something to start out fresh. I wanted something to to be able to pray for the church and not knowing exactly how to do it, I went to scripture for guidance and I landed in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And I went all the way from verses 12 through 42, so I didn't do a big public reading here because we'd be here all morning, but we will get through uh, most of that. I'm going to jump around. Um, but that's my, that's my idea this morning, is that I wanted to be able to pray for the church, didn't know how, needed some guidance. I'm going to go to Solomon. So um, this may be a little bit unorthodox because I want to, as I walk through this scripture, I want us to pray together a little bit. So I'll take it in some chunks. I'll let you guys know when, and I will just... I'll, I'll kind of pause, and then I'll just lead us through just praying over the scripture, and then we'll get back into it. So not, not too crazy, um, but yeah, we'll just kind of interrupt with prayers here and there. So um, just to give you guys some backstory, how many of you guys have read the Chronicles? Anybody? Okay, that's good. I don't need to do this then. Um, anyway, some backstory. Uh, King Solomon is dedicating God's temple in Jerusalem. Now, the Israel that we're seeing right now in Second Chronicles is not the Israel that we remember from Exodus, right? This was a nation of slaves that turned into a nation of nomads, that turned into a group of tribes led by judges, and now finally we've gotten to the period of the kings. We have kings now. We began with Saul, then we went to David, like David, and now we have Solomon, his son, okay? So, in all of that time, Israel has really established itself. We've got buildings now right? We've got roads, we've got commerce, we've got walls, we've got trade, and everything is set up. But there's one thing that's kind of lagging behind, and it's God's house, God's tabernacle, right? God's tabernacle is still the same one that they were using back at the foot of Mount Sinai. It's a tent. And to David, that feels weird, because David lives in a palace, and he looks out and he sees God living, not really living, but God's house is a tent, and that doesn't sit right with him. He comes to God and is like, let me build you a house, please. You, this is ridiculous. You need to have a house. And uh, God says, no, no, not you, but I will let your son build me a house. So then David spends the rest of his life stockpiling materials so that Solomon can later break ground and construct this temple, okay? So he, he wants this place 
to, to reflect what it is. The temple is so important in Israel's culture, right? Because there is no other nation like Israel where God himself has said, I will dwell with you. I'm going to live right in your midst. And all of your sin, you take it directly to me. You don't have an excuse. You don't have to travel far. I'm right here. Come to me, and your sin will get dealt with right here in the tabernacle tent. And that's incredible. That's very culturally significant because no other nation is like that. So you can imagine that Solomon's prayer feels very monumental because he's inaugurating this thing that's going to resonate deeply with Israel for forever, okay? Uh, we don't, as Americans, we don't have anything that's anywhere close to that. The closest thing I think we have is like the White House. So if we heard that the White House was destroyed, that would hurt us more than if any other building was destroyed because, you know, it has some weight. It has some significance to us culturally. So I, I also want to preface this by saying the building that we're in right now is not a temple, okay? And the building that they had then is not a church in the same sense that this is a church. So I'll get into that some more in a bit, uh, but I just want to say that right up front, that I'm not equating the two, and it's going to take some adapting to make these prayers relevant to us, but I believe that they are relevant uh, for a couple different reasons. <clears throat> the reason I believe that these prayers are relevant is because temple or church God is the same, okay? Temple or church, God is the same, and the same way that the temple and the church deal with sin, it's, it's the same, right? So our sin gets dealt with in church, our sin gets dealt with in the temple. Um, we are the same kind of people, right? So God is the same, and we as people are the same. Therefore, these prayers, it's not very hard to adapt them, okay? So us people in need of forgiveness, needing to be near God, needing to be near God's people. That's what makes this relevant, okay? So, like I said, I'll read through a section of scripture. I'll kind of pull out some key highlights, and then we'll pray over it. So, I'll begin. Oh, sorry. Also, the scripture's not on the screen. So, everybody take out your own personal Bibles. We're going to get to use them today. And if you would, please turn to Second Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Second Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 12. So it begins like this. Uh, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and he had set it in the court, and he stood on it. And then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven, and he said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand you have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, which you have promised to him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my laws as you have walked before me. So now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. So we don't have to pray over this yet, but this is an excellent place to start. Sometimes when I get into prayer, I, I look at my to-do list and I start 
rattling off things, and halfway through I realize I'm not really feeling this, or I feel like my, my posture of my heart is improper, and yeah, I feel like what I'm doing is, if I was like Solomon, I had not first humbled myself before God, right? So Solomon thought this was so important, he built a platform so everybody could see him do it. As a king, he doesn't bow to anyone. And so when he does bow, he makes sure, you guys want to see who I bow to? And he turns around, and he bows toward this temple. This is important. It's important enough that he got all that bronze to do it. So we should take note, before we start praying for our church, before we start praying for ourselves, close our eyes, begin with not who we are, don't talk about me, don't talk about exactly what I want, but start with who God is. God, you are good. God, this is your character, and I know you promised us things. You've made promises to us. It's bewildering, but you did, and that's where we should start focusing. That's my first point. Uh, so I'm not going to pray yet, but let's jump into the next section of Scripture, starting in verse 18. Solomon continues praying, but will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built? Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel. And when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So, our second point here is that, so we're still not talking about ourselves too much, right? We've already gotten into the requests, but before all that, in verse 18, he starts with, wonder, right? I skip over that all the time. I am praying very pragmatic, very practical prayers to God. I'm making my request known. It's very mechanical, and there's no poetry in it, right? There's no wonder. There's no point when I close my eyes and I try to fathom the infathomable vastness of who God is, right? The fact that he is infinite, right? the fact that he has always been and that he will always be. It's incredible that we have this infinite God and he, he, has, he is so much more than anything that we could ever do and he has created everything. It's, it's baffling and it's hard for me to get my words wrapped around it right now, but wonder is something that we can't miss. And if you do miss it, then you're kind of missing half of the glory of God, right? But he, he starts there and he talks about how, how baffling it is that you're, you're infinite. Heaven itself and heaven, the highest heaven, what he's talking about is space, right? The universe itself cannot contain you, God. And it feels silly that I built you a house, even though it's grand, the grandest thing we've got. It still feels weird because you're not, you can't be contained by this. So it's okay if our prayers sound like that. It's okay if our prayers sound kind of confusingly poetic and just in awe of who God is because God is awe-inspiring, but he is also intimate. We are also praying intimately to a God who is our Father, right? He intends to dwell with us. He intends to reconcile us to him. And 
now this is where Solomon goes on and he starts talking about listening, right? He says, listen, three times. He's asking God, please, would you listen to us? We intend to pray here. We are going to make use of this building. We will be praying here a lot. I hope that none of those fall on deaf ears, God. Please hear everything that we say. When your servants come here, they are obedient. Please hear us when we pray, right? This building that we just spent all this time making, Solomon is very clearly pointing out that this is not a museum. It is not an art gallery, although these windows are beautiful, and I'm sure all of the decoration in the temple in their day was beautiful. This is a place to do work. This is a place where man can be reconciled to God, a place where sin is dealt with, right? And they are working at it and cranking it out, okay? You don't come here for no reason. You don't come here to just appreciate and to just enjoy the sights and sounds and smells. You come here because you have sinned and you are in need of forgiveness, right? I know that's a lot of stuff. We're going to try to pray over it real quick. So let's pray over verses 18 through 21. Lord God, you are uh, boundless. You are infathomable. You, you didn't just create me, but you created all the invisible properties that guide the universe. And you authored every minute of my life personally in the lives of all these people that I'm praying on their behalf. Lord God, we, we thank you that even though you are infinite, that you are also an intimate God. So, Lord God, when we come before you in this church that's not a temple, uh, we still intend to pray a lot. We intend to pray because we're not here to just appreciate uh, the nice green carpet and the soft pews and the nice windows. We're not here for that, although they are nice. God, we're really here to deal with our sin. We're here to be reconciled to you. And we are so grateful that you have made this place where we can be reconciled to you. So God, please, we are going to pray to you. We need you to hear us. Please, God, hear. And when you hear, Lord God, please forgive us every time we pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I don't think I'm skipping anything in this next section. Oh, I am. Okay. I'm skipping to verse 24 now. So, if you're following along in your Bible, beginning in verse 24, this next prayer. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, oh, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm reading that wrong. Solomon is praying right now. So, posture of prayer, Solomon beseeching God. God, if your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and they turn again, and they acknowledge your name, and they pray, and they plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven, and forgive the sin of your people Israel, and bring them again to the land that you gave to them and to their fathers. So, my point here, just to kind of sum up what I think is going on there, is that we should pray that when we wander, bind our hearts to thee, the way that the psalm goes, okay? So, Israel was prone to wander, and their wandering was way more dramatic than ours is. When Israel wanders, they wander as a country, and they exchange God for Asherah, Baal, and Molech, and they sacrifice their kids, and they have uh, orgies, sorry kids, and all of that kind of stuff. It's not great when they wander. And when they wander, God's judgment on them is letting them have it, right? Allowing them to worship those idols. And he says, all right, I see that you want to be like those nations that surround you in the ancient Near East. 
you can play by their rules now. You can worship their gods and you can do what they do and your fate will be that of all the other nations in the ancient Near East. They are conquered, they are taken away as slaves, they're taken away as exiles, and everything is destroyed. Spoiler alert. I'm a couple thousand years early for that. But for us in our lives, we have something similar play out. We don't get taken captive by alien nations, America. Uh, we, are, we are fairly safe today. We're, we're probably not gonna get sold into slavery. However, we have our own idols that are not named Asherah, Molech, and Baal. They are named money, sex, and power, and they are the same. We are exchange, we're doing the same exchange that Israel does. And when we do, God does the same thing to us that he does to Israel and says, if you want them so bad, you can have them, but your fate will rest with them, right? And so he may hand us over to them. What Solomon is praying right here is a very prophetic prayer because this is exactly what happens to Israel. Israel is taken away in a 70-year exile in various countries after, after wars and after their entire city is destroyed. And what they spend those 70 years doing is praying, asking for forgiveness, asking for reconciliation. God, we were wrong. Please take us back. We wandered. I know we did please take us back and please hold us tight, okay? And if you want more of that, if you would like to read more of what Solomon has to say, it continues in verses 34 through 40. He just continues talking about this. If we're carried away, if the worst happens, and if we really are taken away because of our great sin, God, please bring us back. And I'm happy to say, knowing everything that happens in the Old Testament, that he does, that God is faithful, even in those moments when they were so wayward when they were beyond hope. And this temple that Solomon is praying over is leveled, and all of the beautiful instruments in it are taken away to foreign lands. The city is sacked. God still brings his people back. So we know that his promises are true. We know that it is safe for us to pray this prayer. So we're going to pray that now. If you'll bow with me. Father God, when we read Israel, we read it as a cautionary tale. It's a tragic thing that we read that happened to your people Israel, um, the way that they went astray. But Lord God, even more important in those stories uh, is not the waywardness of Israel, but the faithfulness of you, God. You are so patient and so kind with this child of yours, this wayward child that does nothing but rebel and slap you in the face. You're so kind and patient. You take them by the hand and you welcome them back in every time. Lord God, we can't hope for a person in our lives to be that faithful, but we have you and you are that faithful. So Lord God, in this church, when people have found themselves to be wayward, when they have heard your call, when they have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they walk through these doors, Lord God, please let the Holy Spirit speak loudly in them and call them back and let their prayers come up in this sanctuary to say, please God, forgive me. Please God, bring me back. That's what we want. And we believe that's what you want. So we pray it in your name. Amen. Okay. Two more points. Uh, this next one starts in verse 32. So if you'll jump down to verse 32, Solomon continues his prayer and he says, God, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country 
for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and he prays toward this house, please hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which that foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So when I first read through this whole passage of scripture, this one stuck out to me the most. It was like, that's cool. I really like that one. The reason that I like it is because I've been in the Old Testament so long, I kind of forgotten where we were headed, right? The very first promise that God makes to Abram back in Genesis was that through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed. That we're not just, a, we're not just about God being about Israel. It's not just about him. This plan was always supposed to spread out and bless all the nations, that it's not just supposed to be about them, Israel. And I try to look for those places because sometimes you can get lost in theology, lost in Old Testament stuff and go, wait a second, I'm a Gentile. Do I not have a share in this? You, you do. We, as, as Gentiles or non-Israelite people, we are a fulfillment of the scripture right now. We are who Solomon was praying for. God really has made his name known and made his name great so that us, non-Israelites, are now sitting in the presence of God, worshiping God. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy for you, Solomon, that, that your prayer came true and that the nations really do know that this house is called by the name of Yahweh, the name of God. However, we can have the same tendency that Israel had to start to become very insular and kind of exclusive. Some people, you know, uh, we, we know what the wrong sort look like. Isn't that sad? Like, if someone came into this church and we felt like they belonged, I, I'm, I got a picture in my head of a certain type of person, a certain, certain age group, certain demographic, but that's not what we want in this church. What we want is for people to be from all kinds of different backgrounds, right? Every different background belongs in this church. And I'm so glad that we're partnered with uh, Guatemala and we talk about them all the time because I need to be reminded that there are people that don't look like me and that don't speak my language that are blessing the name of the Lord and are following him just as faithfully as I am or more. I need to remember that because this, this God is not the God of just Henry County. This God is the God of the universe, right? And I need to be reminded of that. So my prayer when I read that, is that more people would come through the doors of this, this, of this church that wouldn't be Christians. I don't really want, I do want Christians to come here, but I want people to walk through these doors that don't know God or hate him, that don't know anything about their Bible, that aren't sure what a tithe is, right, that need their hands held to really get through everything, and need really fundamental things about Christianity explained to them because they have no idea. Those are the people that I want. I want the people that don't have it all together and that even though we're both speaking English, we are not speaking the same language and the gospel just has to come down and make that work somehow. That's what I want. I don't want it to be easy. I don't want it to be like, oh yeah, come right on in here and warm this pew next to me. I want there to be work and I want there to be tension and sparks and all that kind of stuff. And I know that I'll kick myself later for praying that because it'll be difficult, but that's what I want, and that's what Solomon wants. So I'm going to pray that now, if you'll pray along with me.
Lord God, your plan from the beginning was that through Abram's offspring and through the royal line of David that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Lord God, they have been. All of the nations have been blessed. All of us non-Israelites have still found you and love you and honor you as God. And we thank you for that. Uh, but Lord God, we don't want to settle into categories and denominations. We don't want to settle into cultural boxes here in Henry County, Georgia, USA. We want to break those molds. We want to break those cycles and break those loops. And we want to have people here that some would say don't belong because it's not true, because this place is for everyone. This place is for every single person from every single background, and we can't wait to meet them, and we can't wait for them to be here and to be reconciled to you the way that we were. Lord God, we pray that together now in your name, because we know you want it. Amen. All right, so my last section of scripture and my last point. Here we go. Verse 41 is just where Solomon finishes this whole prayer. And he prays in verse 41, and now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. Amen and amen. So, I said that I would get back to why this church is not a temple, and so we're going to talk about that now. In order to do that, I'm going to make a really quick recap all the way back from Genesis, so bear with me. In Genesis, we are, uh, at one time, together with God. God's space and our space is one. We dwell in the presence of God, and everything is beautiful and perfect, and that's how it should be. However, our rebellion makes that not possible anymore. Because of the fall, we cannot be in the presence of God. We have to be separated, and God does. He separates us, and the way back to him is shut, and it is guarded, okay? But, praise God, that's not the end of the story. And the story does not continue that we found a way over the divide or we dug our way under or something like that. That's not how it went. The way that it happened is God was reaching over from his side over to our side. Praise God. The reason that he's reaching over into human history over and over again through that shut and guarded divide is because he wants reconciliation with humanity. He wants humanity to be back where it was before with our space and his space overlapped once again. That's where we're headed. That's what we want. And he does that a few different times, and the common theme is that there's always a flame. And I didn't see this the first several times I read through the Bible, but here it is, the recap. So when God makes a covenant with Abram, I know Kate knows this, uh, he appears in the form of a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot, okay? Next, when God visits Moses, he visits him in the form of a bush that is, that is burning, right? Uh, then, later on, when Moses goes and gets Israel and leads them out into the wilderness, God leads them through the wilderness in the form of pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, just like the thing from the covenant with Abram. So we're getting closer. God is with us. God is actually leading us through the, through the desert, even though there's still a divide 
There's still supposed to be a divide between our space and God's space, but he's crossing over anyway. Next, God leads them to Mount Sinai, and he comes down on that mountain in a flame of fire again. Next, after they've come down and they have built the tabernacle tent, God's presence comes down and resides in the tabernacle tent in the form of, again, fire. Okay? And in this next chapter, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, if you go ahead and read, uh, God's presence comes down again in the form of fire. Right? The presence of God is a flaming fire. So, the question that we're asking is where is that fire now? What does that fire represent exactly? Because I don't see any here, right? Um, and for just the easy answer, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. It's spelled out very simply. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Okay? I know this is a big leap from a building to people, but we're going to try to take it. We are the temple, okay? And when Jesus came and he died and he rose, he kept saying that, it, that he had to die in order that the helper could come, this helper that he's talking about, the Holy Spirit. He sent this Holy Spirit to rest on us. And so that same flame that rested on the bush and that rested on the mountain and that rested on the temple on the day of Pentecost, that same flame rested over the heads of the disciples in the upper room as they prayed. It's us. We are it now. And that's a beautiful picture. And I'm so excited about everything that that means, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around it, but we are the temple that Solomon prayed over. Okay? And while, just think about what the temple represents. God's temple represents the place not an art museum, not, not, a, not a, you know, a gallery or something like that. This is a place to do work, right? This is a place where humanity is being reconciled to God. This is a place where stuff is happening, okay? And that the power of the angels is not what God is using to reconcile humanity to himself. He's not waiting with an army, and that's, that's his big plan. His big plan has already started, and we are that plan, right? He has sent us, his image bearers, with his helper, the Holy Spirit, to go into this world and to help do that reconciling work. And not with purification rituals, not with breastplates and hats and an altar and blood and all that kind of stuff, although we'll get into that in a second, but reconciling just through the power of the Holy Spirit and reconciling through Jesus himself, okay? So... While Solomon's prayers were tied to one building where the Spirit of God dwells and not everybody can go in, that's where that reconciliation takes place. Today, we know that God's Spirit dwells in us, and it does not stay put. It goes with us everywhere that we go, okay? So everything that Solomon prayed about that temple, all of that reconciling hope, all of that, please God, listen, please God, listen, and when you, when you hear, forgive, right? All of that stuff that he's praying He's praying that same thing about us, and we don't have to wait until we come here to 425 Lake Dow Road in order to do that work. That work can happen any place, any time, okay? The Holy Spirit has empowered us to be able to do that kind of stuff anywhere we go. So when we leave this place, I guess the, the last thing I want to leave you with when you're praying for your church is to think a little bit less about this physical building, this space, 
I love these windows. We have not always had pews uh, in the life of this church, and I'm very thankful for them. But I'm trying to think about them less because when Solomon was praying all of those very high and lofty prayers, he would not pray those same prayers over this building. He would pray them over you, all of you, and he would pray them over me, that we are the place where that reconciliation happens and where the Spirit of God dwells, okay? I'm going to move us into our time of communion so we can pray over this. In Ephesians 2, chapter 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh that dividing wall that I was talking about. It's gone now. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to you who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So we know that all of this stuff doesn't happen without communion that we're about to take. This communion symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and poured out on our behalf to deal with our sin. And if our sin is not dealt with, then we're, we're not free. We should go back to that temple, right? If this sacrifice was imperfect, then there should still be turtle doves, and there should still be goats and calves, but there's not. The best sacrifice, the most lasting sacrifice, has been offered, and it's done. And we are so thankful for that. And we just want to remember it every single week. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to take communion together. We have our tithe box in the back for... Uh, for us as members, if you're not a member here, we want to give to you and not take from you, but we obey with the first 10% of everything that's put in our hands. So our tithe box is there, and you can give on the app. There's a link for that back there as well. And then we're going to pray, um, and then we're going to worship. We're going to worship, and we're going to thank God for this wonderful truth that he has given to us, that we have the same reconciliation that we had in the temple, except far better. So let's pray and take communion together. Lord God, you love us so much. You love us so much that there's no divide that could separate us from you, even a divide you put up. The caravim and the flaming sword flashing back and forth was not enough to keep you away from us. So Lord God, we thank you that you keep reaching over. We thank you for the covenants that you made with Noah, with Abram, with David, with all of Israel, with Moses, and the covenant that you make with us today. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we have great sin, but if that divide in the beginning wasn't enough to keep you away from us, we know that our sin is not enough to keep you away from us, and we know that you will forgive. We know that you are faithful and steadfast to cleanse us of all of our sins, so we offer them to you freely and humbly this morning. Lord God, I pray for this people, and I pray for this church, because the people are the church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.